Hello and welcome to At Home with Ashley G. I'm Ashley Gronwald, a real estate agent, mother of three, living in Raleigh, North Carolina with my husband Jed. I hope you'll join me as we discuss all things that begin in the home, such as family, marriage, faith, parenting, organizing, and plus a sprinkle of real estate. I look forward to building a community with you as we navigate the joys of owning a home and making it our safe haven for our family. Because home is where it all begins. Hi everyone, it's Ashley Gronwald with Hunter Row Real Estate and I am joined by Aaron Todd. So one thing you mentioned is we're gonna get through some other of the principles, but one of them that isn't probably gonna come up is just the principle about not allowing food to be your only coping mechanism per se. It's like, it can be right. one of them. And Charlie would say, you know, if you're kind of having a slump and you wanna go grab a chocolate chip cookie out of the pantry, and you know, like that's going to fill you for a very temporary time. Great. Have the cookie, yeah. then go for a walk, re, you know, reset, clear your mind and come back and kind of start again. So you've used multiple tools versus just going into the pantry, having the whole bag of cookies, feeling terrible. And now you can't even return to work because you have a stomach ache type of thing. And you'd mentioned like going from more the restrictive side of things, you didn't really struggle with using food as a coping mechanism. So I'm going to switch this on you to see, because I was in the restrictive camp as well, but I think I use it as a, a source of control. Yeah. So if life felt like it was out of control around me and you could see it in very specific life examples where it's like, this is going out of control and I can't control it, but I can control one thing and that's how much I eat, what I eat and when I eat. Yeah. And so that's, I guess, how I saw it as a coping mechanism for me. Do you relate to that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like it, it's, how do you cope with a problem? Some people control and some people want to avoid or numb mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So those are kind of, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. It's like, you're still coping. You're still coping in a way that is um, overall big term, big long term, unbeneficial to you. Like it's not helpful. Mm -hmm. You you haven't solved whatever it is you needed to cope with. You've just coped, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's a maladaptive kind of coping. Like it doesn't serve you. Yeah. So um, the control, yeah, control for me was definitely like something's bad in my life. What do I want to do? Control makes something else good. Like that's right. just how my personality is. And um, mm -hmm. so I didn't really, um, I didn't really spend a lot of time on the cope with your emotions without using food, mm -hmm. which they've now renamed in the newest edition of intuitive eating. Now it's coping with kindness, which I think is just so much better <laughs> because um, it really shows you the other side. Like it speaks to my side of the coin because I was never running to food for comfort. Mm -hmm. I was running away from food. Right. right. So um, like, but that's not kind. Like right. that's not being kind to yourself. You're treating yourself terribly right. when you're not meeting your needs. Like the basic thing with coping that I kind of had to learn was like, okay, like we need, we need to take care of ourselves and meet our needs mm -hmm. and handle our problems in a way that is healthy. And what does that mm -hmm. mean? That's not to shame people that eat um, emotionally. Food is emotional just inherently. Like there's nothing, you don't want to take emotion out of food. That doesn't solve anything either. Mm -hmm. And I think what we try and teach on the podcast, like what you're saying with, with um, Charlie's points are coping with food is only one method of coping. You need other methods. You can't only have one tool in your tool belt or your toolbox or whatever it is, because you're never going to get anything built. Nothing's ever going to get done. Um, and so just recognizing that void in your life and filling it with something else. Like maybe you need a therapist. Maybe you need a babysitter twice a week. 
maybe you need a different job. Like there's so many other things going on and that kind that principle really points you to the needs in your life that aren't being met and can't be addressed really with food and exercise. And it's like, how do you deal with stress? How do you deal with emotions? Like let's heal your whole person. And as Christians, you know, we've got, we've got to involve God in that. Like that is, um, we've got to let him step in and take the lead on that and help us cope and know that he is a coping tool in and of itself. Like spending time in prayer is a coping tool going and having like a really amazing worship service where you just feel incredible and you focus on God for an hour and you let the music move you. And like, that is a, that is a perfectly good way to cope. And that's so much having diversity there in, in the tool belt or toolbox is, uh, is what we want to emphasize there. And certainly having, having God in there in multiple ways and then having other stuff in there too. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. It's like the idea of going for the walk as a coping mechanism isn't to try and prolong until you eat next. Cause that used to be a thing. It's like, how, what can I do to distract myself from the hunger I'm feeling? I'll go for a walk or do these other coping things, but this is like coping with a real emotion. Like you should be feeding your hunger, but then like, if something happens in life that you need to cope stress or family emergency or whatever, having other tools to help navigate that is helpful. And food can be one of them. I love that. Cause then if you do go have some ice cream and it feels good for a little bit of time, that was one of your coping well, then that's okay. Yeah. Whereas in diet culture, now you feel so much shame because now you, you feel terrible. Then you went and ate something you didn't want to eat and you ate more than you wanted to eat. And now you're in a worse place than you were when you started. Um, yeah. so it doesn't give you any freedom. Whereas this does. And I love that. Yeah. So which principle has become second nature to you that you don't even think of it as a principle anymore? It's just, Oh, I think I've alluded to it several times now, the hunger and fullness, which are two sides yeah. of the same coin to me. I just, I think I was naturally sensitive. Uh, maybe it's the the ginger stuff, all the all the weird things about <laughs> red haired people. I'm very sensitive to stuff, and it's like I was just in tune. Like I know different sensations in my body. I just learned it really quickly, and so it was very easy to just respond to that. And it's like, well, I can just turn the old brain off and let the body do the work here. Awesome. And that that was so um, so pleasant after all of the the brain strain of dieting for all those years. So um, that it's completely second nature. And um, I think it can be second nature for anybody like this can like you, you just get used to it. It's like a muscle and a skill. And the more you do it and the more you practice it and the more you pay attention to it, um, the easier it gets. And in the book, um, intuitive eating, they talk about a scale, I think zero to 10 or whatever. And I remember you saying maybe on a podcast, you didn't want to use that because it felt a little bit too close to dieting and putting a morality or good or bad or shame towards your hunger full, which I totally get. It's like, oh, I ate too, too much. I'm at, you know, a nine or whatever on the hunger full scale. So for you, you were sensitive and attuned to it. So it wasn't a dialogue you were having of what number you were at. It was just right. you felt the sensation and you honored it. Is that what it looked like? Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. I mean, I I had to do a little trial and error in the beginning to figure out and to be able to recognize, like, what is this point of, like, I'm comfortably full, I'm satisfied, and then I'll push it and I'll have another bite. And then I'll be like, oh, that was the bite. Like, 
now I know <laughs> it was one bite earlier, but that's okay. Like I, I knew I didn't get it wrong. I didn't fail at yeah. eating past fullness at that meal. And for me, that's kind of just a point where um, I'm satisfied with the meal. I don't want any more of the flavor. Like it was good. Uh, and I might want something else, but I don't want any more of that. And it's like, okay, like that's, that's the moment where I feel, and you know, depending on what type of food it was, whether it was like a soup and it's like voluminous liquid, it's like, that's going to feel different than like, like a sandwich or something. So it it was different and you had to pay attention. But for me, it was a point where I could tell by that last bite when, when I was like, all right, that was it. And the other thing you talk about, like, and this is probably the um, permission to eat anything. And I think you talk about a sheet cake at Publix. That was your thing. And then you, you allowed yourself to eat it enough to where you're like, I don't need it. Like I can have it anytime. So my question for you is, what about um, when, let's say you have something you love, but it's a restaurant that maybe is further from your house or more expensive, so you don't go there very often. So it is like a special treat. And you're like, I haven't eaten at all, but it's not going to taste as good leftover. Like it's, it's like, it's in this moment. How in that would you go ahead and overeat, like feeling a little uncomfortably full? Because the whole idea is that you can have it whenever you want. Right, right. What if it, or Thanksgiving is another example. We don't have those foods every day. So how do you deal with that situation? Um, So, okay, I I know exactly what you're talking about and I have been there before. And usually what it leaves me with is like a regret of like, Mm. ah, should have had those last two bites. I'm not going to go back over there for like whenever, like, ah. And then that sense of deprivation for me is kind of like, almost a trigger back into, you know, what it was like dieting. And it's like, okay, am I going to regret not eating that and then be unsatisfied by that and then go look for something else to satisfy me? Yeah. Or am I going to have one more of those two bites and go, okay, now my stomach's telling me like, this is it. Like, but if I ultimately, if I want something, I'm going to eat it. Mm -hmm. Like, end end of sentence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the struggle of just like not feeling shame or guilt or, I need to compensate when you have eaten over to overfulness, whatever it was, you ate it too fast, you didn't realize it, or it just set with you differently. Different foods do that. Like you said, soup or sandwich and just fighting those lies of like, I have to do something about this now that I did that, or I, that's shameful activity, or I was sinning, or I, you know, made a mistake, all those things, like trying to fight that off to say, ate a little bit more than I probably needed to. Next time I'll know I don't need to have X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a unlearning of yeah. diet culture process. We we call this whole thing, like we're going to unlearn diet culture mm-hmm. and relearn um, how the body was designed to eat. And we're going to relearn how to listen to our bodies and just get our heads right on it. And like, that is a process. Like that is hard. You're going to be fighting uphill for a while, but I can say like, it really does the farther along you go the easier it becomes and the more second nature it becomes and awesome. the more you challenge the food police and take your diet thoughts captive and all that. Mm-hmm. It's like, it just, it will eventually fade a little bit for right. you, even though, you know, the rest of the world is still doing it. Like it'll just be easier internally. And right. um, that's a victory to celebrate. Like that's mm-hmm. good. Like we can't control what other people right. are doing. And, you know, I think women like us are going to try try our best to get this message spread, but like we're not toppling diet culture, (laughs) $70 billion industry, (laughs) probably in our lifetime. 
Right. So I think it's reasonable to expect that it's always going to be out there. Yeah. And then one other question before I get back to our question. Okay. Is, so what about the person who's like, doesn't want to waste food because the starving kids in Africa, or they don't want to waste the money? Because I think that's a real thing for some people is like, I've spent good money on that food. So I don't want to waste it. So I'm going to eat it. Do you have any thoughts on how to combat that? I don't know if you personally struggle with that or hear people who do. Um, I think that's a, pr a pretty common objection. I don't really struggle with that anymore because like, I'm never wasting it. Like I'm not throwing it out. Like I'm just putting it in a Tupperware and I'm eating mm -hmm. it like the next day. So yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not wasting it. Um, I think there was a little bit of food waste to be perfectly honest in the beginning when I was trying to, yeah. um, bring in some different foods after yeah. dieting and be like, okay, what do I actually like again? I've got to find that out. And mm -hmm. some of that stuff got thrown out because it's like, well, it turns out I don't like don't this. Like or it. like, I'm just like not, I'm not here for it. And so I get that. And that's a very valid concern. There's a way to do this that you're not wasting food. And there's this actually will, once you get the rhythm of it, will probably be better for your grocery budget in the long term because you're not going to be wasting stuff. And you're going to be eating stuff that you actually like to eat, not stuff that you're buying. Because you're like, I'm just going to buy this kale because, like, then I'll eat it. It's like, no, you won't. Right. So you <laughs> like, right. Yeah, it's like it's just going to sit there and then it's going to wilt and then you're going to throw it out. It's like right. <laughs> you're going to eat the stuff that you like. So I think you just have to kind of put a pin in concerns like that. That's good. So if you were trying to help someone consider intuitive eating, they're like, I'm interested. I'm not there yet. But tell me more, which principle would you have them start with? I think satisfaction is often the best mm. way to, uh, the best door to enter through. Cool. Because okay. So many people are cut off from that. And it's just, honestly, it's so basic and such like a fundamental gift from God that we have food mm. that's delicious that we get to enjoy. Like mm -hmm. let's tap into that and let that be the starting point. I think, um, I don't, I can't remember if it was in the regular workbook or in the teenager workbook, but the original authors of intuitive eating, um, Evelyn Tripoli and Alish Resch have satisfaction as like the spoke, the center of the wheel and all of the other principles kind of spoke out from that. So it's like, yeah, you can do unconditional permission to eat, but if you're eating a bunch of Cheetos just because you're allowed to it, eat Cheetos and you don't actually like Cheetos and you really wanted like chocolate chip cookies, like mm -hmm. you're missing, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like you've got to connect. Everything comes back into that center spoke of satisfaction and, mm -hmm. and just, you know, recognizing that food is a gift and just connecting back to that is such a simple, simple thing that everybody can do. You don't have to cook anything different. You don't have to eat differently. You're just being mm -hmm. present in the moment and being grateful and tuning into your senses and just eating kind of more mindfully. And you say something on the podcast. It's like, if you love it, savor if you it. If you don't love it, don't eat it. Yeah. And if you love it, savor it. That's intuitive eating in a nutshell. And I, I, I just want you to know, I hear that in my head most days. So you're just chatting in my ears. <laughs> that, well, that's from the book. They, that's like, that was one of their one-liners in there that I'm like, that, that is when I, I read that line. I'm like, I'm in, I'm all in on this. <laughs> I get and, it. And I love it. But on the practical side of things, I've seen myself be like, nope, don't love it. Don't love it. You know? And I'm like, well, I have exhausted my resources right here you know, because we're limited on groceries or 
the restaurant we went to, I'm like, oh, I don't love what I order. You know what I mean? So I, and I think like you said, as you journey through this, you get to know what you like and um, I'm exposing myself to all these different foods that I don't usually eat. So I'm not certain. And so it can be a little stressful and exciting going to a restaurant because I'm like, oh, I have more than one option now. <laughs> so yeah. which one am I going to choose? But which one will I like? And so I'm just curious on the practical side of things. You know, you're rushing between meetings. You guys talk about that. You don't have any options other than a quick sandwich that's kind of like, eh, so-so. But that's all you have. And you know that if you don't eat, you're going to be ravenous. And that doesn't honor your body. So any thoughts on that? Yeah. So this is is where you have to kind of apply all of the principles together. So we know that we're shooting for satisfaction. We know we're Mm -hmm. entitled to be satisfied by our food. And that's always what we want to go for. But in the real world, like not every meal is going to be just this like mind-blowing, sensory, best thing you've ever eaten, like amazing experience. Um, That's just not real life. So you also have to consider the other principles and situations like that where it's like, I don't really want to eat this, but I also know that I'm hungry. And I also know that my body needs fuel and out of self-care, I'm going to eat this. And then I'm going to make a note I probably won't even need to make a note. It will probably be very apparent to me later that I need to be satisfied by some food later. Like I'm going to make an effort. If this lunch was a big disappointment or it was a rush or whatever, it's like I'm going to try and really enjoy dinner tonight. Like I'm just going to give myself extra time or make it like do something extra special with it. Right. Get the balance there a little bit more and consider, consider all of the principles. I think um, – and this, this is where we can get into uh, a little bit of black and white thinking, a little bit of diet mentality with the if you don't love it, don't eat it thing. That's yes. not like a like you're going to love everything you eat for the rest of your life. Like, no, right. <laughs> no that's an extreme. That's a that's an all or nothing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's just what you're going for. That's your aspirational right. goal is to be satisfied by your meal and enjoy it and be nourished by it. Yeah. It's like, we don't want to be legalistic about that because then we're just resorting back. But I love that in that moment of to honor my body right now would be to have this less than amazing sandwich that will fill me during this time that I'm not going to have any access to food. But then tonight I'm going to have extra time. So we're going to go to a restaurant that I really love or whatever. So it's like, it's important, but it's not ultimate. Um, in balancing all 10 principles versus just that one. So that's helpful that. Good. Um, and then which principle do you think tends to cause people to dig up the deepest roots? So they've got long-standing roots. Um, okay. <laughs> I keep going back to reject the diet mentality, but honestly, it's the hardest thing. Yeah. And um, until you can dig up that root of, I need to be thin to be happy, mm-hmm or I need to be thin to be healthy, or I need to be like, that's what good is. Until you pull up all of those lies by their root, the lie that there is good food and bad food. Like those are some foundational lies that govern almost everybody's relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you've got you've to do some really deep inner work and some soul searching to get through the real motivation behind why you think you need to lose weight. Like what is your weight loss goal really about? What do you actually want? Mm -hmm. It's not the weight loss. Right. It's not like dig deeper. Like there's something else there. Right. Value, love, acceptance, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. That, that would have been my answer for that one too. Cause it's like, 
you get the first principle and it's like, I couldn't have got an easier one to start, but it's like, we're going to go all in on this first one and years of lies and things that have just deeply rooted into our souls, even yeah. that I think affects our relationship with the Lord and with other believers. So I, I would agree on that one. And then which principle gives you the most freedom on a daily basis? Okay. Let me see what I put for this one. Okay. I went with exercise, feel the difference, which we call joyful movement. Yeah. Um, I think when I, when I reflect back on like the dieting years, the amount of time and lack of freedom that I was just jammed into by virtue of having to do this particular like workout program on this mm -hmm. schedule to be able to complete the program, all of that. <laughs> the way I approach movement now is so freeing compared to that. And that's just time in my day, like headspace in my day. And then I'm actually enjoying the time that I am spending rather than like slogging through like, Oh, let this be over. This hurts. I hate this. Right. <laughs> so, right. Um, so now I can just do the movement that makes me feel good mm -hmm. that I like to do. Like, like it's over when it's over. Like there's no attachment to an outcome involved anymore. It's just like, I'm doing this for the sake of doing it awesome. because it's fun. Yeah. And I, because I teach group fitness, I have, and I'm sure a lot of that is rooted into the eating disorder and body image stuff and diet culture. And then I thought, like you say, sometimes like, I'm not letting diet culture have that. Like there is yep. some really deep love in my heart for teaching and doing specific exercise in a group setting. Now, is there sin or... Is it tainted? Oftentimes, yes. And so it's like, I'm not going to let diet culture have that. And so I have to fight to make sure I have the right motive and then teach from a place of intuitive eating and joyful movement versus from which we've all heard the instructors that say, do you know how many calories you're burning? Or what did you eat last night? Or what are you going to eat tonight that you need to make up for? Like never letting those words come out of my mouth. Remind people we're there to get stronger. I always talk about our hearts being stronger, our cardiovascular system and, um, and like do it for enjoyment versus the torture. And I know Charlie and you have talked about like, sometimes you like a really intense, I think Charlie said she really likes like a really intense workout sometimes. Yeah. But then if that's your standard of what counts, that's where it's become an issue. We're not honoring our body anymore. We're in the, you know, we haven't rejected the diet mentality because we've said it has to be this intensity for it to actually count as exercise yeah. or for me to be able to eat what I wanted to eat. And that's where I want to break free of that and teach from a really healthy place when I'm teaching my classes. Well, we need more teachers like that in group fitness, because I think um, most of them don't have this kind of background. Right. And you're going to get the lines that are so triggering, like, mm -hmm. like think of your abs when you're done with this. And it's like, I, <laughs> <laughs> and I, um, I still, you know, the, a couple of the like online fitnessy things that I still do, I'm just rolling my eyes mm -hmm. when I hear stuff like that. It's like, yeah. you, you, you can't get away from it, but there's so much power in speaking life. And letting love be the motivator. Mm -hmm. And you're really kind of, without even knowing it necessarily, giving people a glimpse of like the health at every size stuff. Yeah. As yeah. as you're throwing out like motivational one-liners. It's like your heart is getting stronger. Yeah. That is valuable to your health regardless of whether the scale budges. Right. Like you are like 
massively re releasing endorphins in this class and you're going to feel amazing. That has value to your health, whether or not you lose weight. Like that's this whole health at every size mindset, which is really, um, I think they really do a good job too, reclaiming exercise from yes. diet culture. Cause yeah, I'm with you. Diet culture doesn't get to have exercise or salad right, right. <laughs> or smoothies. Right. Yeah, I like all of those things. Right. Yeah. And I think that's um, a thing. If you're going to incorporate that, the, you know, joyful movement, just even calling it movement instead of exercise, I haven't been able to do that perfectly, but I love it because it's like, I just want to go move. And that's very different than I'm going to exercise, which is very rigid. And um, I think a lot of us that are group fitness instructors were there out of insecurity of our body and it, it forces us to go punish our body and we're held accountable by our class essentially. Yep. And I won't say that for everyone, but I know that was a motivating factor for me. Um, and so I, I, I want to not be that. I want to be more um, truth and joy and uh, freedom in the movement realm. So my last question for you, was there one principle that you initially thought, no way that's impossible? I really had, um, I think the most like brain breaking for me was the no good and bad foods. Like you have mm -hmm. unconditional permission to eat anything. And coming from the orthorexic background where I had eliminated multiple food groups at once, like mm -hmm. The good and food, bad food lists, air quotes here, if you're listening, like the good foods, that list was just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and like unconditional permission to eat. I was like, there's no way. There's no way I'm not going to feel terrible from this immediately because I've gotten down to this very small amount of things that make me feel whatever they made me feel <laughs> safe, I guess. <laughs> And then to get the lived experience of letting everything back in at once mm -hmm. and having none of those allergy intolerant air quotes symptoms show up. It's like, oh, oh, like my fear of these foods was making me react to them. Like it wasn't the food. Mm -hmm. As soon as I changed how I thought about the food and went, oh, no, I have unconditional permission to eat this. It's not bad. There's no morality in food. Like let's stop. The judging, like mm -hmm. all food is acceptable. You're not a better person for eating one way. You're not a worse person for not eating that way. Like the, and I was so coming from the, I am like a self-righteous dieter. Look at how clean I am. Look at how good I am. Look at me, um, you know, earning it stuff. And so this was just, it blew, blew my wig off <laughs> in the best possible way. Right. I agree. I almost feel like when I'm eating something that would be on that forbidden list, it's like I eat it. I'm like, nothing happened. Yeah. Nothing, you know, like I'm waiting for something to blow up or my, you know, and it's like nothing happened. So, yeah. well, thank mm -hmm. you Aaron, for this time. And I know it was so helpful to me. So I'm selfishly grateful for <laughs> all that you shared with us. Um, but I, I just hope that I can talk with you again and share this really good news. And I'm thankful for just the inspiration you guys are being on, on the podcast. So thank oh, you for doing that. Thank you, Ashley. You're so kind to say that. And I'm yes. just happy to share anytime. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks Aaron. And I'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining me today. And if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend, subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me. 
at home, where it all begins.